Welcome to you wherever you are at, whomever you are with. In fact, I hope you're with your mom, but uh, whomever you are with, uh, we are so glad that you are with us for these few minutes uh, together on this very special weekend. Do want to take a minute to mention the U version of the Bible. If you haven't uh, downloaded that on your phone or your device or your laptop or your desktop, uh, I would encourage you to do so. It is a great resource for getting into God's Word, all kinds of reading plans there. You can enter just about any topic that interests you, and you will find some great reading plans there. Also, if you look at uh, the lower right-hand corner, when you get the app open, uh, you'll find a menu. Click on Events, and there you can enter in Arlington FM and find a complete set of notes for this weekend's message. Well, uh, happy Mother's Day, uh, especially to my mom. I know that you're watching, Mom. Love you, and uh, happy Mother's Day to you. And to all the rest of you moms out there, uh, do want to wish you uh, a very special day. And uh, you know, you, uh, whether you know it or not, uh, moms have a very unique, noble, and uh, significant role in all of the lives of their children. Uh, I was reminded of the story this week where C.S. Lewis uh, portrays uh, a homekeeper, a mother uh, in a very unique way. Uh, it's from his book called The Great Divorce. And no, it's not about a relationship breakup. It's about the uh, great separation that exists between heaven and hell. And uh, in this imaginary book, uh, Lewis describes kind of the values of heaven and what it is that makes it so uniquely different from the other place. And uh, in one of the scenes, there's this great procession as though somebody great is being honored and uh, the onlooker uh, is trying to figure out what in the world's going on and he's got a heavenly guide that's taking him through all these scenes and uh, as he sees this great procession he's blown away uh, by how much uh, pomp and ceremony there is and so he asks his guide uh, whether this might be the blessed virgin mary and to which his guide says no it's someone y'all never heard of. Her name on earth was Sarah Smith. And he goes on to describe what it was about Sarah. Uh, she was a very ordinary person during her earthly life. But through her love, she became a spiritual mother to hundreds. Uh, hear that again. Uh, she was a very ordinary person. But, but through her love, she became a mother to hundreds. Uh, indeed, to every person she met. And then even the lowly animals were embraced by her affection and came more to life. And I think that's a wonderful portrayal of the power of moms, is that through your affection, mom, we come more to life. And uh, we just want to thank you and honor you and esteem you for that. Uh, uh, well, I want to introduce a brand new series this Mother's Day weekend, and uh, I'm dedicating this first message to our moms, but uh, I think you'll find that it has application to all of us, and it's called Almost Happy. Uh, almost Happy. And the idea is, you know, there are many times when almost is, is adequate, but there are other times when almost is definitely not good enough. Uh, how about some of these times? Uh, uh, when you hear the phrase, we almost got all the cancer. You know, that's not what I want to hear if I've gone in for a procedure. Or how about this? The pilot almost landed the plane safely. That's not a plane I want to be on. 
And then many of you uh, Seattle area people should relate to this. The Seahawks almost scored the Super Bowl winning touchdown. And many of you are saying, ouch, that one still hurts. Uh, but it's, it just makes it obvious that there are many times when almost doesn't cut it. In fact, almost isn't quite good enough. Uh, I remember when I first met my wife, it was at, uh, I was 20 years old. I was at a college uh, social gathering. Uh, you might call it a wild party, think Animal House. And uh, as I was leaving with a group of my friends, I looked across the room and I spotted the woman who would eventually become my wife. And I did something that was so out of character for me. Uh, I was pretty much uh, shy when it came to initiating relationships with the opposite sex. And uh, I saw uh, Janine standing over there. It, what I noticed, though, is she saw me. And uh, for a brief moment, our eyes kind of locked. And uh, what I did that was so out of character is I made my way across that room. And I said, hey, uh, nice to meet you. We're on the way out. Could I get your phone number? And surprise, surprise, she actually gave me her phone number. And well, that coming week, what was much more in character uh, with who I was at the time is uh, we didn't have a phone in the house that I lived at with a group of guys. And so I'd make my way to a phone booth, call that number that this beautiful young lady had given me, and then I'd hang up before she answered. Uh, I almost called her every day of that week, but I never quite followed through. And uh, imagine if I had let almost be good enough. Uh, think of the, a lifetime of love and companionship and sheer marital bliss that my wife would have missed out on had I not carried through. Well, actually, I was the one who would have been struggling to find a life. But the truth is, almost often leaves uh, much undone. In fact, I, I happen to believe that it's those missing pieces of our happiness, those places where we still feel like there's a part of the puzzle that's not quite in place yet, uh, those things can either catapult us towards God or they can lead us into a life of discontent. Uh, you know, there was a man with a son who was uh, very ill and he came to Jesus seeking his healing. And, and Jesus said, look, if you believe all things are possible. And I love the guy's response. He said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe almost, but there's part of me that's not quite there. And I'm inviting you to help me with that. Help me think that through and figure it out. Uh, you know, as I said, the missing joy or the missing happiness, the missing sense of well-being can really put us on a, a life path of despair. In fact, uh, King Solomon, uh, he's known for being the richest and the wisest king that Israel ever had and perhaps the world has ever known. And yet he was discontent. You might say he was almost happy. And uh, he describes in, in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible, his search for meaning. And I want to read you part of his search. He said, uh, uh, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good or worth living for. What does pleasure really accomplish? And so he said, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly or foolishness. Sounds like my youth. Uh, but he said, my mind was still guiding me with wisdom. I was still analyzing and 
trying to figure out what this was accomplishing in my life or in my soul. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. And so I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs, water groves of flourishing trees. I also owned owned more livestock than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of king and provinces. I acquired uh, female singers and male singers, and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me, and all of my wisdom stayed with me. And you might think, uh, you might think King Solomon was one of the happiest men who ever lived, but in fact, he was not. And he comes to this, uh, what some have said, is maybe the earliest report of a true midlife crisis. And here is uh, Solomon's assessment of his sense of well-being. He said, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What a profound conclusion to come to. You see, something key was missing in Solomon's experience of life. He was almost happy, but he was not And it was that void, that discontentment within him that ruined everything and tainted all of his experiences. Uh, Contrast that with the words of Jesus. He said in John 10.10, which happens to be my favorite verse in the Bible, I have come that you may have life to the full, that the life that you have and experience would not be lacking in anything. It wouldn't be almost life. It would be complete an overflowing life. He said a very similar statement in John 15, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, though, that my joy may be in you, and hear this, that your joy may be made full and complete, and as we said, lacking in nothing. Listen to the words of one of uh, Jesus's very first followers, Peter. Uh, he would write uh, a few decades later, though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You see, there's nothing lacking. There's no piece of the puzzle that's uh, this deep, gnawing sense that uh, where is the real happiness and the real joy? Well, here's my question in this series. How do we get on that path? How do we get on that path where our happiness goes beyond almost and it's complete and overflowing. Well, uh, what we're going to do in this series is look at an amazing letter from the Apostle Paul. It's his letter to the Philippian church. And uh, this was a church that Paul established on his second missionary journey. And just a a few things you ought to know about this church. Uh, In fact, you can read more about it uh, if you have the U version, especially go to Acts chapter 16, And there you will find the complete story of how this church in uh, Philippi, which was uh, a bit east of modern-day Greece, and um, uh, how this church came to be established. It's uh, very interesting. As Paul was uh, serving in the area of Turkey, he sought to head east uh, into Asia. And uh, he describes that twice 
the Spirit of God forbid him uh, to go into Asia. And of course, I'm asking, how in the world did he do that? You know, did he show up as an angel with a flaming sword and say, don't go on that road? Or, uh, you know, was the, the weather bad? But for some reason, Paul determined that twice God forbid him to turn east into Asia. And instead, he heads west as a result of a dream he has at night where he sees a man from this region, a man of Macedonia, saying, Paul, please come and help us. And so Paul and his companions determine that they ought to head west, and they arrive at the city of Philippi. And there we're told that uh, on Sunday, they go down to the river, they meet a woman named Lydia. God opens her heart to receive the good news of Jesus, and the church is birthed in Philippi. Well, uh, as they... Uh, the message begins to be shared with other people. Paul does a good deed that goes sideways on him, kind of blows up in his face. Uh, there was a young lady who followed him around, uh, prophesying, saying, these men are sent by God. And apparently, according to the scriptures, she had a spirit of divination. And uh, people who owned this young slave woman made a lot of money as she would predict the, the future uh, of others. Well, Paul gets annoyed. He casts the spirit out of this young woman, and the owners realize they've lost their source of income. Uh, so they have Paul arrested. He's publicly beaten. Uh, he and his companion, uh, beaten to within an inch of their lives, stripped naked, and thrown in prison where they are locked in a cell. And that night, uh, as you read the story, uh, Paul and Barnabas are praying out loud, singing hymns to God, and we're told the other prisoners were listening in. I mean, who gets beaten to within each, an inch of their lives and is now worshiping and thanking and praising God in the middle of the night? Well, a great earthquake comes and uh, the doors fling open and uh, you gotta read the story, but uh, it ends up the jailer gets, uh, here's the message of Christ. He gets saved, his entire family gets saved and uh, they become a part of this team that establishes the church in Philippi. And so uh, as we dig into this letter, that's a bit of background so you know who Paul is expressing these thoughts to. And uh, he writes uh, to them, I thank my God every time I remember all of you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy uh, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Apparently, as soon as they responded to Jesus, they began to work with Paul to share this good news with others. Uh, and I'm confident of this, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, uh, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I carry you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or I am defending and confirming the gospel. And by the way, I forgot to mention, Paul is actually in prison again as he writes this letter to his friends in Philippi. And he says, whether I am in chains or I'm defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And then he begins to offer a prayer for his friends in Philippi. He says this, this is my prayer, that your love may grow or abound more and more, 
and that in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and you may be pure and blameless for the day when Christ returns, that you would be filled with the fruit of a, a good life, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. And so uh, Paul is praying uh, that their, their lives would be characterized uh, by this sense of health, uh, that their complete orientation would be, how do we get better and better at loving others? And uh, in so doing, uh, that uh, they'll bear fruit, they'll draw others uh, to God through their good living. Paul goes on, he says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, uh, speaking now of his imprisonment, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. In other words, more people are being reached because of my predicament. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Jesus Christ. It's, uh, uh, Paul's story has been made known to his captors and it's making a difference. He says, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become more confident in the Lord. And they are daring all the more to proclaim the good news without any fear. Uh, so uh, amazing uh, testimony uh, that Paul is sharing with his friends in Philippi uh, about uh, God's work in him and through him to others. And, uh, you know, one of the, the things that stands out if you read through the entire letter to the Philippians is the word joy and rejoice. Uh, it appears uh, over 16 times, uh, more so than any other book in the New Testament. And so Paul is addressing this idea, how do we find real joy, real completeness, real happiness in the midst of life's most difficult times? Uh, you know, there are a lot of people who, who have asked the same question. Uh, researchers, sociologists, psychologists, therapists, theologians have asked this important question. The same question essentially that Solomon asked. How do we find real happiness? How do we find completeness of joy so that there isn't this sense that regardless of what we do, something is still missing? That's an important question. And uh, it's interesting, all of these, uh, these um, uh, groups whether they be uh, researchers or psychologists or therapists or theologians, they agree on some of the essential elements that make for real and lasting, enduring happiness. And really, uh, not to oversimplify it, it comes down to love and work. What we experience in terms of our relationships and the meaning uh, that we find in what we do with our gifts and our abilities. Um, stay connected and stay involved. Uh, the experts are telling us is the key uh, to a life that means something and that matters to ourselves and others. Well, uh, I wanna kinda unpack some of the things that Paul puts his finger on in these opening verses to his friends. And these are themes that'll go through his entire letter uh, to the Philippian church. And uh, here's the big theme, number one, a purpose or a mission to live for that is bigger than yourself. Uh, this is one of the keys to uh, a sense of 
complete happiness, a sense of joy that uh, we have a reason to get up that's bigger than ourselves, a purpose or a mission in life that is bigger than ourselves. See, Paul said, you are partners in the gospel with me. Your very lives are bringing the hope of God to others. Uh, You know, this can be true regardless of what it is that we occupy ourselves with. We can bring a greater sense of mission and purpose into that. Uh, One researcher wrote of uh, hospital custodians and janitors who uh, part of their uh, daily work is filled with cleaning bedpans and mopping up a vomit uh, of very sick hospital patients. And uh, rightly so, uh, these jobs are ranked at the very bottom of the list for hospital work. And yet they saw that in some cases, uh, these people uh, carrying out these very humble tasks saw themselves uh, in a bigger picture. They saw themselves as participating in the healing of patients and their goals became bigger than just cleaning a bedpan. They went beyond the minimum requirements of their jobs uh, and they tried to brighten up the rooms of very sick patients. They tried to anticipate the needs of doctors and nurses rather than waiting for orders Uh, And in so doing, uh, they brought a greater sense of mission and purpose to these very menial jobs. You know, we have a we have a guy here. uh, I don't want to embarrass him, so I won't mention his name, but he cares for our church facility and grounds. And, uh, you know, he brings such a level of integrity and dedication and commitment to that. And the more I get to know him, uh, he knows he's a part of a bigger picture. He's establishing an environment where hope can be shared and where joy is noticeable. And uh, it's his desire that even people who drive by on the street uh, notice that something good is happening there. And this is a key element of people who report a complete sense of happiness as they know that the things that they do have a bigger purpose and a bigger mission. Here's a second truth. Uh, that comes out both in Paul's letter and in those who study enduring happiness is that truly happy people have a genuinely optimistic view of their personal narrative. Uh, in other words, they see their own story uh, through uh, with a, a view of positivity that it's a good story. It's a story that, that matters. And uh, it, this is incredibly important. Uh, Listen to these words of King David, who, if you read the story of the Bible, he had some real ups and downs in his life. He knew the highs and he knew the lows, but uh, here are some of his thoughts about uh, the nature of his story. He said, surely, God, your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of God forever. That's a good narrative, In spite of the highs and the lows, uh, your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. He wrote in another psalm, Psalm 16, uh, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, and surely I have a delightful inheritance. Things have gone well for me in spite of my difficulties. And maybe when you hear that, you think, well, that's good and dandy for King David, but my life sucks. 
You know, there's, there's not a lot of things I can look to and say God's goodness and mercy and love are showing up in my circumstance. Well, think about it. The Apostle Paul could have said that. Think about him and Barnabas, uh, beaten, uh, flesh hanging from their bodies, stripped naked, thrown in a dungeon, and yet in the middle of the night they were singing songs, and they were praying so much so that the other prisoners were, were listening to the hope that was overflowing from their lives. Uh, you know, on top of Paul's difficulties, there was an idea floating around when Paul was ministering that uh, if you were really sent by God, this was known as the divine man ideology. If you were really sent by God, you wouldn't have problems in your life. You know, the, the seas would just kind of part before you and God's miracles would accompany you everywhere you went and everything would go well. And so Paul kind of beat back that false view of God working in our lives. And he said, look, I'm in chains for the gospel. And what has happened to me is, is working for good. And others are being encouraged to be more bold in their faith. And, and people are being drawn to God through Christ. Uh, I was reminded of a, a, a book, a, a profound book, called Man's Search for Meaning, uh, written by Viktor Frankl, who survived a Nazi death camp. And if you can imagine a more hellish nightmare to live through, and as he watched his friends and countrymen being exterminated, and being treated like human garbage, uh, he decided, uh, is this gonna be the narrative of my life, or what's the one thing I have that no one can take from me? And he decided it was that he could dis he could uh, fix his own meaning to his life. He could decide what this meant for him and that he, in a sense, would write his own story regardless of what was happening to him circumstantially. And uh, as researchers and theologians and therapists and sociologists have noted, this is one of the attributes of happy people is they have a generally positive regard for their story and their narrative. And, uh, you know, it brings to mind uh, another aspect of uh, people who experience more of a complete happiness. And it's probably a term most of us haven't heard before. It's called post-traumatic growth. Now, most of us have heard of post-traumatic stress, and we know that's very real. But uh, there's something that happy people experience called post-traumatic growth. And uh, this is the recognition that I can reframe and reinterpret all of life's challenges and setbacks, that God has given me the ability to do that. Uh, I may not be able to determine what's going to happen to me, but I can always choose how I will respond to that. And, uh, you know, people who look into this uh, acknowledge some realities. One of them is that most of us don't change easily. Uh, you know, we may learn some new skills, we may develop some new habits, but generally, on the inside, we tend to see ourselves and others the way we've always seen ourselves and others, unless, unless we go through some difficulty, some trauma, uh, some life challenge that forces us uh, to become something that we were not previously. And that's what's referred to as post-traumatic growth. You know, one uh, researcher decided to analyze uh, the happiness factor 
And he, he contrasted uh, two groups of people. One were people who won the lottery. And you would think after winning the lottery, your happiness factor would go through the roof. And uh, he contrasted those who, who experienced great difficulty, great trauma, uh, perhaps uh, someone who had become paralyzed uh, through a, a devastating accident. And uh, your initial thoughts might be, well, the uh, lottery winner's joy and happiness is going to go way up, and the person who's been paralyzed, theirs is going to go way down. You would be wrong. What they actually found is that the uh, people who experienced uh, great trauma often experienced the deepest life change. Yes, it was difficult. Yes, it was devastating. But it caused them to discover new things about themselves, to get on a different pathway in life, to choose values that were more enduring, and yes, more happiness producing, uh, which really leads to the next insight that comes from Paul's initial words. Uh, people who experience complete happiness see their sufferings as purposeful and meaningful. Uh, just read those words again. Uh, people who experience great completeness of happiness and an enduring sense of joy see their sufferings as having a purpose and being meaningful. Uh, this is a huge theme of the Apostle Paul in his letters, uh, and it's an invitation to embrace all of life. I remember some of the first words I ever read that the Apostle wrote as a new follower of Christ, where he said in 2 Corinthians 1, we are comforted by God in all of our troubles so that in turn we can comfort others who are likewise afflicted. And I remember reading those words and wondering, could there be some value in my sufferings and in my hardship? And the obvious answer is yes, yes, yes. Paul says, because of my chains, because of my imprisonment, because of my hardships, others are being encouraged in their faith. And uh, we come to this, really this last observation from Paul's opening words that really meet with life, that match with what can be observed about life is people who are happier tend to see themselves as lifelong learners. In other words, they're on a journey that will never, ever end. And if you, if you look at Paul's words, that journey is learning how to love learning how to become better at relationships, learning how to become the kind of people who bring help and joy and uh, gladness to others actually comes back to us. It's like Jesus said, uh, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Uh, well, uh, as we conclude uh, this message, uh, I want to say this. You know, you could go through each of those points and you could say, you know, that uh, uh, people who experience great happiness uh, have learned uh, to accept life's difficulties. They've learned to have a mission and a purpose that gives them a reason. They've learned how to uh, value relationships over activities. You know, and you could choose to uh, try to try to walk in each of these uh, new directions in your life. And uh, I would guarantee you that uh, if you applied yourself, your happiness factor would go up somewhat. Uh, but really, that's not the spirit that Paul writes his letter in. Uh, Paul writes his letter in this spirit, 
uh, that Jesus did indeed come, that we might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus did indeed come, that we would know the joy that he knew, and that our joy would be complete, and that all of these, these insights flow out of a response to him. Uh, see, that would be uh, Paul's invitation, is when we put Jesus Christ and we fix him as the center of our lives, that he leads us into the paths and into the behaviors and into the life change that truly does produce a completeness of joy. Well, I want to ask you if you would pray with me. And uh, Lord, as we uh, ponder uh, truth from your perspective, and we think about this invitation to, uh, to be beyond almost happy, to, to move beyond those unsettled places in our lives, Lord. And uh, we would think of even King Solomon who had so much, yet he had so little. Uh, he had acquired uh, all the things that we think might create a sense of well-being. And yes, those things matter, especially if we don't have them. Uh, but when we do, and we realize there's still a hole in our soul, and we, we know, God, that only you can fill that, uh, much, as, much as it's been said, uh, there exists within each one of us a God-shaped vacuum. There's a place in us that only he can fill. And, and I would just pray with you this morning. Maybe you're hearing this message and thinking, you know, I really need what I've heard. Uh, today. I need to put Jesus at the center of my life so that I can begin to see my story uh, in a better light. So I can begin to embrace my sufferings and my difficulties as having some purpose and meaning. And uh, God can begin to show me a, a greater purpose for living. And uh, I want to just agree with you. You know, every journey begins with a single step. And that journey with Jesus begins with saying, yes, Lord, I need you. And uh, so if that's in your heart, uh, I want to encourage you to say these words out loud or just at least agree with them. Jesus, yes. I believe that you came that I might have life and have it abundantly, and I want to open up to that. Uh, I don't know where that's going to go, Lord, but I believe it's a good path to follow, and that's I want to take that step today. I want to ask you to forgive me of the things in my life that have distanced me from God and his plan for me, and uh, thank you for what I've heard today, and uh, Lord, for your forgiveness, for your sacrifice on the cross, for your resurrection, for your presence with me through your spirit. Uh, I want to open the door and invite you uh, to begin to get me on that path where I can truly say, surely goodness and God's love have followed me all the days of my life. And Lord, for all of us, uh, we want to we just turn to you. We want to thank you, God, that uh, your word says at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And we would just acknowledge today, Lord, that you are the source of our true enduring happiness. You are the missing piece of the puzzle. And maybe as you hear these words today, you're thinking, you know, I'm kind of like Paul in that prison cell. Uh, life has kind of blown up in my face. Uh, maybe life, you feel beaten down and, and there is no song in your heart. There's no, there's no praise. There's no worship in the middle of your challenges. And I want to invite you uh, to offer that up to God right now. Say, Lord, here I am. I'm in a dark place. 
I'm in a broken place. I feel hemmed in, and I don't really know where life's going to go from here. But I invite you in. I invite you to be in this moment and begin to make sense out of nonsense. Uh, begin to shake those prison doors, rattle those chains, Lord, and move me forward into the future that you have for me. And Lord, we want to just bless uh, all the moms today. And regardless of uh, moms, if you're feeling overflowing with joy, or you're feeling almost happy, or you're feeling uh, despairing and empty, God sees you, God knows you, and uh, he is for you. And we pray that his blessing would be on your life today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.